A suicide attack in the Afghan parliament in Kabul by the Taliban earlier today left at least 18 people wounded and six gunmen killed. A terrible story, but hardly an uncommon one. The blast coincided with a vote to endorse the country's new defense minister, who will have the job of deciding what there is to defend in Afghanistan right now and who will defend it. The defense minister may want to recruit from these three child soldiers, part of a part militia, part police force, defending villages in Helmand province from Taliban fighters. So can you describe what happened recently when the Taliban were very close? The Taliban threw a hand grenade. As soon as they threw the hand grenade, we started fighting back with PK machine guns, Kalashnikovs and everything. They shot this tower about 11 times, and that one too. Were you fighting as well when they attacked? I was sitting right here, and I started shooting at them. Do you find it hard to be brave when they're fighting? Of course. If I lay down my weapon, they will not spare us. They will come after us and kill us. The Taliban killed my father. As long as we are alive, we are not going to spare them our land. That's Vice Correspondent Ben Anderson speaking with three child soldiers ages 10, 12, and 14, holding back the Taliban in Helmand province. Ben's reporting can be seen in the latest HBO Vice News documentary, Afghanistan After Us. Anderson says you can't see much evidence of the United States military in the land of this country's longest war. And I spent a lot of time in Marja, which was the scene of the biggest operation of the entire war since the initial invasion. And honestly, the only evidence that I could see that the U.S. had ever been there were, was, you know, a good tarmac road that went through the middle of the of the district. That was it. Uh, that no other sign whatsoever that, that, that the U.S. had been there. And the idea that the U.S. had some impact on the fabric of society, on the village life, on uh, building institutions, any assessment there? No, no evidence w- whatsoever. I mean, the, the, the Afghan security forces drive around in Toyota Corollas, uh, often without uniforms, uh, often with very basic old weapons. Uh, y- usually the Taliban have, have better weapons. No evidence that the training had, had you know, taken root whatsoever. What were you most surprised about? And can I ask, what were you expecting to see? You know, I wasn't expecting things to be perfect. I've been traveling to Afghanistan a lot for the last eight years, but going to Marja, where 30,000 troops almost invaded overall, billions of dollars were spent. Um, I expected some kind of progress, some kind of, you know, Afghan government presence. And instead, I saw uh, an ALP unit, which is effectively a, a local militia who are on the U.S. payroll. They're supposed to have been um, become part of the, the Afghan National Police Force by now. They still haven't. I don't think they will. And this ALP unit were, were commanded by a 53-year-old grandmother, and her grandchildren were fighting. Um, and the three boys I went out on patrol with were 10, 12, and 14 years old. And they, they weren't, you know, this wasn't just for show. You could tell they were, they were hardened fighters. They had, you know, the, the way they handled their guns, the way their, their fingers were just off the triggers. Um, and the stories they told about very recent fights with the Taliban, you could tell these, these, these boys fight often. Did this militia, did this police force, whatever you want to call it, have any connection with the wider security forces and what we're told about the training by U.S. forces in Afghanistan? No, the ALP in some areas used to be trained by American special forces. Um, they were nowhere to be seen. Um, this is, you know, th- this is effectively a, a, a local tough family who happened to have been anti-Taliban when the U.S. Marines invaded, so were put on the payroll to try and. Um, win their loyalty in in the long term. Um, the ALP unit I was with don't have a bad record. Some of the ALP units around Afghanistan have awful records. And you know, I'm often asked questions about the Taliban and what will happen if the Taliban come back. And um, you know, will it be the the grim days of, of the late '90s all over again? And I think a big mistake that a lot of people make is to assume that our allies and the Taliban have many ideological differences whatsoever. And often you find there are, there are none. 
Yet they're still fighting. And the casualty rate for the Afghan forces is peaking this year. It, it was a re- record highs last year. It's going to be higher again this year. I mean, top 10,000 last year when you include uh, injuries and, and fatalities. And um, with the security forces, if you add desertion and defection rates as well, the numbers are simply not sustainable. I mean, l- last year, it was something like uh, 90 policemen or soldiers were being killed every week. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the numbers are going to be higher this year. Are the Taliban winning? Is that even a formulation you can make? You know, before I went on this recent trip, I would say it's kind of a bloody stalemate. It, it does feel like they're taking ground now, and it does feel like this summer they could take possibly the whole of Helmand province and other provinces as well. Um, since I've left, there have been four very big attacks on four district centres in Helmand province, and it, and it really feels like a place that's, that's on the brink. Some administration officials uh, and military officials, when they speak before Congress, describe the opium cultivation as a way of gauging the U.S. impact. Uh, How would you say that's going right now? I mean, had one of the U.S.'s goals been to make the opium poppies bloom, it would have been the success story of Mm. the entire war. Um, But just like the casualties, almost every year, um, the latest year has has been yet yet another record harvest. Uh, I spent quite a lot of time with some opium farmers in Helmand, and they've got a new seed from India, which they think will allow them to have a triple harvest. This year will probably be the, the biggest opium harvest anywhere in the history of the world in Afghanistan. And what do civilians say about the U.S. presence and the U.S. mission? Are they bitter about it? Are they happy about it? Or is it just a kind of a yawn? We owe that. It happened. Yeah, right. They're They're very bitter about the fact that the U.S. has left because they feel like the war is now entering its bloodiest phase and the Afghan security forces are nowhere near ready enough to stand up to the Taliban. And the Taliban are resurgent and their influence and power is is spreading. And they feel like we, as in the U.S. and and the U.K. as well, have left just at the point when when we're probably most needed. And the idea of Afghanistan as a rogue nation that will develop a kind of terrorist outpost to do the same kinds of things that happened uh, leading up to 9-11? I spent uh, a month in Iraq before I spent a month in in Afghanistan this time, and it feels like the conditions are eerily similar. There's such, such a failed government and so many people are alienated that it's ripe for a group like the Taliban there is a, a small ISIS presence in, in, in uh, Afghanistan, not huge, but to, to take huge parts of, of the country. And certainly, you know, al-Qaeda, al-Qaeda sympathizers. There, there's lots of places they could hide very easily in Afghanistan now. Ben Anderson, a correspondent for Vice. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. 